In the book, uh, The Village Effect, uh, we read that recent research has shown that we intrinsically crave community and friendship. We want community and we want friendship. In fact, uh, there are scientific evidences that speak uh, to the health of people who have friends. In a 2006 study of 3,000 women with breast cancer, this study found that those with a large network of friends were four times more likely to survive from their breast cancer than women with smaller social communities and connections. Imagine that. Out of 3,000 women surveyed, those with breast cancer, the survival rate was four times more than those of women with no friends or smaller social communities. In fact, a French study that monitored 17,000 utility workers revealed that their social interaction, their ability to interact with others, was a good way of predicting how long they would live. Imagine that. 17,000 utility workers in French, the more they interacted with one another, the more friends they had, the longer they lived. In another survey, 3,000 Americans, among 3,000 Americans, it was found that people with close friendships are far less likely to die young. And in another study found that 50-year-old men with active friendships are less likely to have heart attacks than solitary men. I always found that survey uh, a bit surprising. You figure that 50-year-old men gathered together would eat unhealthily, and yet they were less likely to suffer from a heart attack than men who lived by themselves. And yet, despite these powerful, some would say scientific evidences of the value of friendship and community, our habits today are becoming more solitary. Since the late 1980s, according to surveys in the U.S., Europe, and Australia, more and more people feel isolated and they feel lonely. And in many cases, we are doing it to ourselves. Just think about the Christian life that you live. Many of us think that we don't need to be in community. As long as I come to church, as long as I read the Bible and pray every day, then I will be fine. But if you begin to think like that, then you will have fallen into the pitfall of isolation. You've heard me say it many times. Christianity is to be lived out in community. So men and women who tell me they don't need to come to church are probably not growing in their spiritual life. Because the Bible tells us it is in community that the Christian life is lived out. It is in community that the Christian life flourishes. It is in community that the Christian life grows. And that's why we encourage you to come to church regularly. We encourage you to be involved because we know that if you are involved, then you are part of the community. It's not because we want you to hear so that there are more numbers. It's not because we need you to serve, although that's true also. We encourage you to come to be a part of our church community regularly and to be involved because we know it will help you in your spiritual walk. In fact, if you look at the life of David, whenever he went through times of deep struggle, he often withdrew himself. And whenever he went into isolation, 
Interestingly enough, he found that his troubles only increased. In fact, in the book of Psalm, chapter 25, verse 16 and 17, the psalmist David writes this, Turn to me and have mercy, for I am alone and in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. It seems that loneliness and isolation and deeper distress and depression seem to go hand in glove. This morning, as we continue our sermon series entitled Kings and Kingdoms, so we have been looking at various pitfalls that we are to avoid to ensure that our lives do not end badly. And we will talk about the pitfall of isolation this morning. If you weren't with us last week, we talked about the pitfall of pride. And I want to encourage you to go listen to that sermon online. You can get it and find it on our church's website, The Pitfall of Pride. Powerful message to many, and I hope if you weren't able to listen to it, you will take the time to do so. Well, we're looking at the pitfall of isolation this morning, and I'd like you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 24. And if you don't have your Bibles, I hope you'll make it a practice to bring your Bibles with you every week so that you can look into the Word of God, or at least download a Bible app in your phones. This is the Word of God, and therefore we read it. Second Chronicles chapter 24, looking at the life of King Joash to see how he fell into the pitfall of isolation and how his life began so well but ended badly. Now, if you have time sometime this week, I want you to go back and read chapter 22 of Second Chronicles because looking at the historical context is important. We find out in chapter 22 that Joash was the last child of King Ahaziah. And when his father Ahaziah died, his grandmother Ataliah, a treacherous and ruthless woman, killed all of the royal heirs of the household of Judah. We find that in chapter 22. Joash survives because he was hidden by his aunt and her husband, his uncle, Jehodiah, the high priest. And like Moses of old, he was hidden away. In chapter 23, we read that the high priest, Jehodiah, Jehoiada, excuse me, took back the throne for Joash, who was the rightful heir of the kingdom of Judah. And Jehoiada had his wicked grandmother, Ataliah, killed for her treachery against the royal family. And this is where we pick up the story in chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Look with me. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Joida the priest. The Bible tells us very clearly that Joash was seven years old when he became king. And for sure, someone so young to rule a country needed an advisor or advisors, plural. And he found a godly advisor to rule with him in the person of his surrogate father, his uncle, Joida, the high priest. But I want you to notice something at the end of verse 2. Look with me. The chronicler tells us, that Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Note this, not as long as he lived, not to the best of his abilities, but the Bible tells us Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Joida the priest. 
He served the Lord faithfully as long as his advisor was there. It would foreshadow a turning point in his life when Joida is no longer there. In verses 3 to 5, we read that Joash wants to do something great. He honors the Lord and he wants to repair the temple of God, but he needed money. And the reason the temple was in disrepair and the reason the treasury had no money for this renovation project was because his father and grandfather, two kings before him, and his grandmother, the queen, didn't really think about the upkeep of the temple of God because they did not walk with God. And so, Joash wanted to go on a fundraiser. He wanted to raise up funds to renovate the temple of God. And so he went out on a private quest to challenge the priests and the Levites to go and gather the money needed that they were supposed to offer to the Lord to renovate the temple of God that was in disrepair. Well, what we find out in verses 3 to 5 is that the fundraising effort of Joash doesn't go very well. In fact, we find out that the people did not respond as quickly as King Joash thought they would. And so in verse 6, he asks for help from his loyal advisor, Joida, to aid in the collection of the monies needed for the renovation of God's temple. And as we're going to find out, working as a team, they became very efficient, very effective. Look at verse 8 as we begin to see Three benefits of being in community. Three benefits of working as a team instead of in isolation. Verse 8 to verse 10. Then at the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the collection that Moses, a servant of God, had imposed on Israel in the wilderness. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced brought their contributions and put them into the chest until all had given. What a dramatic shift from the attitude of the people a few verses back. What is the difference that led the people who were not very enthusiastic before about giving to the house of the Lord to now where they are rejoicing and they're actively participating in contributing to the renovation of the temple of God. Here's the difference. If you read carefully, you will notice the difference in the language. In verses 3 to 5, you notice the pronoun he, and he did it, and he did it, and he did it. The difference now in verses 8 to 10 is they. The pronoun changed from he to they. There are now two voices that the people hear. One voice coming from the king, the other voice coming from the priesthood to the person of the high priest. You see, in community, there is unity. And that's the first benefit of being in community, is that there is unity. And when the people saw that there was unity in the leadership, there was strength to this project, and they responded, and they responded enthusiastically. So it is in the Christian life. That is why it is important to be in community. Because in community, you are able to be more unified. In fact, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, we are to be united. We are to show forth unity so that the world will see the Jesus that we believe in. That they will know of Jesus 
by the love and the unity we share with one another. In fact, when Jesus was about to go to the cross in his, what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus in the Gospel of John, you know what Jesus prays for us? He prays that we would be united, that we would be unified in our community. Many of us think that it is counterintuitive that if there are more people involved in something, that there would be more unity. Many of us think, you know what? I don't want to be in community because if I don't have other people messing up my life or giving me advice, then the decisions that I make are my decisions, and life is very simple. It's messy when you get more people involved. And it's counterintuitive to think that when there are more people involved, there is actually more unity. Let me give you a practical example. Perhaps it will clear it up. Let's say you are the father of your family. And let's say as the father of your family, you always make decisions unilaterally. That means you don't consult your spouse, you don't consult your wife, you don't consult your children, you don't consult anyone else. I am the father and my decisions are final. Do you think your family would be happy with you if that is how you acted? They may go along with your decisions because they have no choice. But they are actually not united in your decisions. But instead, if you were to invite them to dialogue with you, if you invite your spouse and your wife, perhaps, to give her input, and you invite your children in the discussions and the decisions you must make. Yes, there will be arguments. Yes, there will be differences of opinion. But if you are able to come out with a consensus final decision, it is a decision that has unified the family. Yes, it's messier when you have more people involved in the process. Yes, it is more difficult and there's more arguing. But in community, you will find more unity. You know, I'm not saying that should be the case all the time. Because there are times when, for the sake of truth, the decision that is right needs to be made without consultation from others who may skew from the truth. But that is a rarity. When one is in community, there is unity. And when there is unity, it will allow you to succeed as we see here. What is the second benefit of being in a community, in a team? Look at verse 11. So it was at that time when the chest was brought to the king's official by the hand of the Levites. And when they saw that there was much money, that the king's scribe and the high priest's officer came and emptied the chest and took it and returned it to its place. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. You know, as they were collecting the monies for the refurbishment of the temple, notice it was not one set of team that counted the money. It wasn't the king's people that counted the money. It wasn't the high priest's officials that counted the money. The Bible makes it very clear in verse 11. And if you read carefully, you will note that the king's scribe and the high priest's officer were the ones that counted the money. Two people from different groups to account for the money as it began to pour in. One representative from the king the other from the high priest's office. What you see here is an example of accountability. And that's number two, the second benefit 
for being in community. There is accountability. Number one is unity. Number two is accountability. Even if you are the best intentioned person with the highest of integrity, we all need accountability. Just as a side note, in case you were wondering, you can be assured that whenever you drop an offering in one of the offering boxes, you can be assured that more than one person is counting that money. There are at least two or more who are always counting the offering money of the church. The pastors do not ever touch that money. In fact, we have in our church six deacon teams, separate teams of at least six people in each of those teams that rotate through this task of counting the offering. No one counts the money alone. More than 36 people count the money you drop into the offering box. And then after that count, it goes through another count to check the deacon's work. And then the bank does another count to check the first two counts. And then once a month, the external auditor comes to do the count to ensure that that which was received was that which is properly deposited in the bank. So whenever you deposit even one centavo into the church offering box, it is counted at least four times. This is a good thing. This is accountability. Because if I were to ask you one day, do you trust me as your pastor? I hope you will tell me yes. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? I hope your answer is yes. And if your answer was yes, what if I got up one day and said, you know what? To streamline our operations, I think it's easier if I took home the money to my house and I counted it myself. I hope that while you trust me, you will never allow me to do that. And that will never be the case. Why? Because I do not trust myself as well. Accountability protects us from ourselves. You can be the most good-intentioned person with the highest of morals, but accountability protects us from ourselves. It does. That is why you need to be in community. You cannot be in isolation because in community, there is accountability. I remember a funny story of a cop that was parked uh, on a street on a Sunday morning. And as he was there watching the street, he saw a car come by in a very high rate of speed, swerving all over the road, swerving all over the road. He realized that this man was driving very dangerously, and so he turned on his police siren, and he took off in hot pursuit of this car. He finally pulled over the driver, and when he walked up to this car, he recognized the driver. It was an alcoholic named Frank. And so the police officer said to Frank, Frank, you're driving all over the place. Where are you going? And Frank, giving an excuse, said to the officer, Officer, I'm just trying to get to the church, man. It's Sunday morning. Noticing a bottle on the seat next to Frank, the police officer said, Frank, what's that on your seat next to you? Frank looks at the officer and said, Officer, it's just water. Well, give it to me. So Frank gives the officer the bottle, and the officer takes a whiff. It's not water. Frank, it's wine. 
Frank looks at the officer and then looks up to heaven and he says, wow, Jesus did it again. He turned water into wine. I like that story because it reminds us how ridiculous sometimes our response is to what is truth. And although we may find Frank's response ridiculously mystifying, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. How many times do you try to justify your sin in the person of who we are, in our own personal thought process? How many times when we do something wrong do we just simply say, well, God, he'll understand. It's only a little white lie. Or we'll think to ourselves, it's okay, it's okay, God, everyone's doing it. You know that. Or sometimes we'll think to ourselves, well, Lord, I know you'll forgive me just just this once. I I won't do it again. And in the isolation of our spiritual life with no one one telling us the truth, we'll say in our minds, Lord, there are worse people out there. Those justified people. Reasons in our mind for sin are no better than Frank's response of water into wine. Because in our minds, as long as we can get away with it, who's the one that's going to tell us we can't? But if you are in community, there is accountability. Because if someone sees that you are doing what is wrong, then someone can call you out on it. Look at verse 12 to 13, more accountability. The king and Joida gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord. And they hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord. And also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored and the work was completed by them. They restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. You know, the accountability was not only in the accounting and receiving of the money. It was also in the distribution of the monies to those who were working. They did it together as a team. The king and the high priest together, unified in accountability. Do you think a priest needs to be involved in the hiring of the carpenter and the masons? Of course not. And yet that's what the Bible tells us they did in verse 12. Why? Because Joash and Joaida wanted the people to see That as they did it together, they mutually accounted for one another. Look at all the pronouns, they. And knowing that there was accountability allowed the people to give with more courage and trust. And sure enough, the Bible tells us in verse 13 that not only were they able to restore the temple of God, not to a shabby to a usable condition, but to the original condition with all of its glory, in fact, surpassing the original condition as they reinforced it because there was accountability. And as a side note, I know you're not asking, but it's good for you to know that before any check or cash is to be dispersed, there are at least four signatures that must be signed for the release of any funds. And while some may say that it's restrictive, for me it's a good thing. Because in accountability, there is trust. 
Look at verse 14 with me. The third benefit. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Joiada. They made from it articles for the house of the Lord, articles for serving and offering, spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord. Note this, continually all the days of Joiada. With the leftover monies, the excess monies, they made more things for the house of God. But what is more important is I want you to circle the word continually. Notice that when this temple was renovated, they used it every day as it was to be intended to be used by God. Continually, every day, all the days that Joiada provided counsel to King Joash. You see, the third benefit of living in community is that there is continuity. In community, there is continuity. There is unity, there is accountability, and there is continuity. Let me give you a practical example. You know, all of us get tired of doing something. Doesn't matter how disciplined and focused we are, we often get tired of doing something, whether we like it or not. For example, if we desire to eat healthy, how long would that last? If you think to yourself, I need to eat healthier, for me, that would last maybe a week, maybe not even that long, maybe about two days. And then the thought of eating healthy goes away. Now, some of you, perhaps even more disciplined, may maybe last a year. Boy, you are super disciplined. And for the very one or two in the whole world, that may actually last a lifetime. But for the vast majority of us, we get tired of doing something that's good for us, like eating healthy. Or how about exercising? How many of you in January said to yourself, I'm going to exercise all year. It's July now. That exercise routine may be lasted a month. For me, two weeks. And then that was it. Because we're doing it ourselves. You know, people tell me all the time, Pastor, I know you're busy. You can't go out to the gym. Why don't you get a personal treadmill? You can exercise in the convenience of your own home. And so I got a treadmill. We have a treadmill in our house. I've used it maybe 10 times. What do we use it for? We use it to hang clothes on. It's there. Unless someone is nagging you, unless someone is standing by your side encouraging you, you're not going to do it. And that's why they say you need a personal trainer to motivate you, to encourage you. In community, there's continuity. You need your wife to keep telling you for the rest of your life, you need to eat healthy, you need healthier. Without community, there is no continuity. You do it by yourself, you do it for a little bit, and then you'll stop. Moving on to the spiritual things of life. You can resolve to read your Bible every day and pray every day, pray multiple times a day, you can resolve to do that. But I'm sure without constant reminder from someone like me every Sunday, without constant reminder from accountability partner or someone in whom you are in community with, like a life group, unless you have that, you won't, unless you're super disciplined, persevere 
to do that every day. You almost need someone hovering over you to encourage you to live out your spiritual disciplines in your life. So it is with physical exercise, the physical things of life. So it is with the spiritual things of life. Christianity lived out in community will ensure that there is continuity. And there we have it. Joash's rulership of Judah was going very well. There was unity. There was accountability. There was continuity. But then came a turning point. Look at verse 15 and 16. But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. No one lives forever. Jehoiada lived to the age of 130 years old, and then he went to glory. Look at the honor they gave him. He was a chief priest. But he was honored by being buried in the city of David with the other kings of Judah. Because the Bible tells us he did good things for the Lord. Unfortunately, with his earthly departure, Joash quickly turned. If only Joash had found quickly another spiritual guide if he quickly found a community that would have spoken true to him, a spiritual community, perhaps the son of Jehoiada, the next chief priest, but he didn't. He began to withdraw into isolation. And we see this happening in a lot of families, families that have a great spiritual heritage. What happens when the spiritual patriarch dies? What happens when the spiritual patriarch dies? Often, the family that does not have their own personal walk with God will often disperse and disperse. Verse 17. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Without Joiada standing along with him, Joash was not able to get the spiritual counsel and aid he needed. He withdrew into leadership isolation. And so he was quickly influenced and swayed by the pagan elements of his kingdom. It's almost surprising, a complete reversal from continuity now, there was no continuity. The worship of the one true God in the temple almost immediately stopped. And they just as quickly turned to idol worship. When you don't have community, especially a community of godly men and women to counsel you, you will be easily swayed. The Bible tells us in verse 17, the king listened to them. Perhaps he thought in his mind... I am the arbiter of that which is good and bad. I can easily discern what is good and bad. But in men and women, that's spiritual pride. As we talked about last week, pride 
leads to destruction. And so in his leadership isolation, he makes the wrong decision. He allows them to leave the worship of the one true God to serve wooden images and idols. And because of that, incurred the wrath of God. Did God give Joash another chance? Absolutely. Look at verse 19. Yet God sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. God tried to give Joash godly advisors, a godly community by which he can discern what is good and bad. But look what the Bible tells us. They, including the king, would not listen. God sent Joash, prophet after prophet, to perhaps stand in the place of Joida, to be in community with one who was spiritually strong, but he would not listen to them. And therefore, there was no continuity in the work of the spiritual reformation that Joash himself had started when he was in partnership with Joida. When you live in spiritual isolation, it will often end very badly for you. Verse 20 to 22. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jeroiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord? so that you cannot prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He also has forsaken you. So they conspire against him. And note this, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus, Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada, his father, had done to him, but killed his son. And as the son died, he said to the king, The Lord, look on it and repay. There was one who stood for truth, who spoke for truth. His name was Zechariah, the very son of Jehoiada. If only Joash had brought into his community Zechariah, someone who was willing to rebuke the king for doing that which was wrong, if he would be able to bring into Zechariah, into his counsel, it would not have ended so badly. But to our surprise, Joash had the priest Zechariah killed, the very son of the one who had helped him onto the throne. And no one stopped Joash from doing this sinful act. Because when you live in spiritual isolation, there is no accountability. When you live in isolation, there is no accountability. Who's going to tell you what's right and wrong? And when you do wrong, who's going to tell you what you have done is wrong? There was no one in the life of King Joash who could tell him the killing of Zechariah was wrong. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That is the danger of spiritual isolation to do that which is right in your own eyes, to make the Bible say what you want it to say. 
Without a community, there is no accountability. If you're familiar with a bank by the name of Barings Bank, you will know that this at one point was the oldest bank in Britain, in the UK. But in February 26 of 1995, Barings, to the surprise of many, announced that after 233 years as a British bank, it was seeking bankruptcy protection after losing nearly $1 billion U.S. dollars in a stock gamble. And at that time, Barings was thought to be a very stable bank. In fact, the bank held assets for Queen Elizabeth, some $100 million according to Time magazine. How in the world could this bank, the oldest bank in the U.K., lose a billion dollars? If you know the story, it was caused by a 28-year-old stock trader in Singapore. 28-year-old. How in the world does a 28-year-old have the ability to make decisions for over $1 billion? Well, this Singapore trader had made a lot of bets with the Japanese market. And he put in a lot of bearings money into the Nikkei stock market. In 1995, when the Kobe earthquake hit Japan, the market dropped by 1,000 points. And although they lost a lot of money, instead of cutting losses, this trader actually doubled his investment. He thought that the market would rebound. Well, it didn't. It continued to plummet. And they continued to try to hedge against their loss. Soon, nearly $900 million was on a failing position by this Singaporean trader. To the point where finally, Barings Bank ran out of capital and declared bankruptcy. 28-year-old. The problem for this bank? London allowed this Singaporean trader to take control of both the trading desk and the backroom settlement. To put that into the context, if you're not a businessman, it's like letting, as someone said, a schoolboy grading his own test. It's like letting a student grade his own test. The temptation to cheat can be overwhelming, particularly if the stakes are high. And this trader who controlled both the in and the out hid his losses until it was too late. As I mentioned earlier, accountability protects us from ourselves. And you should be very scared if you're not in spiritual community. Because without accountability, you'll find that life becomes very difficult. What happens in verse 23 and 24 is that the Syrian army comes and wins victories against Joash's forces as a judgment of their apostasy. Even though the Bible tells us that the Syrian forces were small compared to the Judean army, God gave them great victory. Look what happens to Joash in verse 25. And when they had withdrawn from him, the Syrians, for they left him severely wounded, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Joiada the priest and killed him on his bed. So he died. And they buried him in the city of David. Note this. But they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. In leadership isolation, Joash 
was killed by his own servants. There was no unity among the leadership of Judah, and perhaps there was intrigue, and in the palace intrigue, they were able to get his own household to kill him in his own bed. What a marked difference a few verses ago when there was great unity among all people. And look how he dies. Unlike his advisor, Joida, who was not even a king and yet buried with the kings, Joash was buried in the city of David, but he was not buried with the previous kings. That's how much they did not like him. That's how much there was no unity amongst his royal household. He was not even buried with the kings of Judah. A complete sad reversal of someone who started out so well. But because he moved from spiritual community to spiritual leadership isolation, it led to his downfall. When in community, he had unity, accountability, and continuity. And yet, quickly, in isolation, he realized there is no unity, there is no accountability, and there is no continuity. That's why we call it the pitfall of isolation. My friends, do not fall into it. Make sure that you surround yourself with men and women who are godly and spiritual, who will dare speak truth into your life. You need people like that. You need councils of advisors to speak truth into your life, whether that's your spouse or your family or the leadership of this church or members of a life group. You need people like that to speak truth into your life, to call you out when you sin so that you can finish well. And on the flip side, don't allow people in our church to fall into spiritual isolation. If you don't see them for a while, call them up. You may wonder, maybe they're going to another service. It doesn't matter. Ask them, how are you? Where are you? Haven't seen you lately. Keep them accountable and in a spiritual community, lest they end badly. Because if you fall into the pitfall of isolation, it will not end well. Let me close with a story. It's told by Kevin Harney in his book, Leadership from the Inside Out. Kevin tells of his own experience. He had been serving in the church as a high school, in the high school ministry for just over a year, and he loved it. It had been his passion. Even though he writes, I was still a senior in high school, I had been asked to be a campus leader. And in fact, I was doing some teaching under the mentorship of our youth pastor, and Kevin writes, I could feel that the Holy Spirit was working through me. I was having the time of my life. I was being trained for a lifetime in ministry. One day, one of the key leaders of the youth ministry called to see if I could meet with him. I was so excited. I wondered what new responsibilities would he give me? What new challenges because of the leadership qualities they see in me would they give me? What affirmation would I hear for my passion and faithful sacrifice to serving close to 20 hours a week in volunteer service. And so we set up a time and a date to meet. 
And I met with this godly leader whom I respected very much. Oh, I respected him. He was a leader of leaders. He was articulate about his faith. He had high energy. And I was ready to receive the great insights and challenge from this leader. And so in our meeting, this leader looked me in the eye and he said, Kevin, you have a problem. You have a problem with pride. And I've come to meet with you to tell you we're going to remove you from your ministry position so that you can work on this weak point in your character. Kevin writes, I was fired. I was fired from a volunteer's job. It's bad enough to get fired from a real paying physical job, but it's plain embarrassing and humiliating when you are fired from a volunteer job. He writes, my appreciation for this man and all of this man melt away instantly. I thought to myself, and he writes, I'll give you the PG version. He said, are you firing me? I'm a volunteer. I chose to help you. Who are you to talk about me having a pride problem? You're one of the most prideful guys I've ever met. You can take your advice in this volunteer ministry and you can put it in a place. That's the PG version. Suffice it to say, Kevin was angry. He writes, my mind was reeling, but thankfully I had the restraint to keep my mouth shut. I listened. I, I pondered his words. Sure, I was outraged. And there I sat in stunned silence. The truth sank in. Waves of emotion hit me. First the rage, then the shock, then the defensiveness. And, and then a strange and peaceful calm. When I came to the realization, he was right. And I looked at that bearer of bad news. And I realized the Holy Spirit had sent him to hit me over the head with a simple, painful, and deeply needed word. I had a problem. It was making me inefficient in ministry. Pride was ruling my heart. And here's what he writes, is what I want to share with you. He writes, God helped me at that moment to look past the messenger and to listen to the message. God helped me look past the messenger and listen to the message. And the reason Kevin could write that was because this youth leader was in community with him. When you are in community, you can look past the messenger and you listen to the message. But if you are in isolation, when you're not used to receiving words of truth, you will not get past looking at the messenger so that you will never listen to the message. In fact, that was the downfall of many of the kings of Judah. They fell into the pitfall of leadership isolation. And whenever they heard a rebuke or correction from a prophet of God, what was their reaction? They were furious. They were angry. And they could not look past the messenger to listen to the message. I hope you and I will never fall into the pitfall of isolation so that our hearts will always be tender, looking past the many messenger God brings us to begin to listen to the message that he wants us to learn. Live in community. Experience unity, accountability, and continuity so that you can avoid 
the pitfalls of this life so that you will not end badly. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your reminder even to me. It is good that this church has an accountability structure even in leadership. It is good that I answer not only to myself, that I answer to you and I answer the leaders and the people of this church. Lord, I pray that each person this morning would understand the need to be in spiritual community so that they will stop withdrawing into spiritual isolation, which will lead us to end very badly. Help us to learn from the example of Joash, who started out so well, but ended so badly. Help us to remove our pride so that we can accept the message you want us to learn regardless of the messenger. May the word of God continue to prick hearts and to challenge us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.